Hello there. Eric Riven is here. So in this episode of Aghast at the Past, 1892, a murder, a significant one too, one that would spark a weeks-long conflict in Wyoming, referred to popularly in history as the Johnson County War. Let's begin with the murder, the catalyst for these events. The death of a cowboy named Nathan D. Champion, known as Nate Champion. If you recognize the name, it might be from the 1980 film Heaven's Gate, where he was portrayed by Christopher Walken, or on the Tom Horn episode of Most Notorious. Champion was born in 1857 in Leander, Texas, into a family of 18 children, with a father who was a local sheriff. He became a cowboy at an early age, and evidently a highly skilled one at that. Eventually, he made his way to Wyoming, and in 1892, he found himself in the middle of a range war waged by rival cattlemen. He supported the Northern Wyoming Farmers and Stock Growers Association, organized and operated by smaller regional farmers and rangers. Their competition, the far more powerful Wyoming Stock Growers Association, or the WSGA, run by wealthy and cutthroat cattle barons. During a meeting of Champions Association, Members nominated him as their leader, even though he was not in attendance. He declined the position, but the fact that he had been singled out for leadership meant that he was now a target for the wealthy ranchers. These cattle barons created a death list, purchased the service of about 50 hired gunfighters, many from Texas, and set their sights on Nate Champion and his Casey Ranch, as their first target, after marking him as a rustler. Uh, This, by the way, was not the first time that they had tried to get to him. U.S. Marshal Frank Canton and a few men had attempted to assassinate him in his bed five months earlier, but he had managed to fight them off. He had had a pistol hidden under his pillow and shot it out with the men inside the cabin, shooting two of the gunmen one fatally, before they fled. So Champion's home was a low-roofed, four-room house, which sat in a pasture near the Middle Fork Powder River. And on April 9th, 1892, these WSGA invaders surrounded his cabin. Champion was not alone. A cowboy named Nick Ray along with two fur trappers, Bill Jones and William Walker, happened to have spent the night. When the sun rose, both Jones and Walker left the cabin, unaware of what was waiting outside for them, and were captured, leaving Champion and Ray, who also happened to be on their hit list, holed up in the house, still not aware of what was going on. It was Ray's turn next to go outside. And as soon as he did so, a 17-year-old kid named Starl Tucker, who called himself Texas Kid, shot Ray down, mortally wounding him. To the amazement of the WSGA invaders, however, Champion 
amidst a hail of gunfire directed at him, managed to drag Ray back in, before holding himself in for a battle. So, again, this happened on April 9th. News traveled slowly in Wyoming, however, and this time it was made worse because miscreants had cut telegraph wires. The first detailed accounts of what happened started popping up in local Wyoming papers like the Cheyenne Daily Leader on April 13th. However, it's easy to tell by reading the articles that the local papers were picking sides in the fight, and the Daily Leader was squarely on the side of the cattle barons. So instead, I'll choose a story off the wire, which appears to be a bit more honest in its description of the siege and murders. But even these stories are tinged with bias. Champion is labeled a notorious rustler in one instance, but there is little historic evidence available to prove this. Here's a portion of an article from page one of Kansas's Leavenworth Times, April 13th issue, with the headline, A Frontier Fight. The Report of the Killing of Nate Champion. Denver, Colorado, April 12th. A special from Buffalo, Wyoming, relates meager details of a fight at the Casey Ranch between rustlers and cattlemen. It says, The first information in Buffalo of the trouble was a letter received from Douglas to Sheriff Angus of Johnson County, saying a special train of armed and mounted men had passed through Douglas and was unloaded at Casper. They circuited the town and started in this direction. Late in the afternoon, a ranchman named Smith, living on the north fork of the Powder River, rode to Crazy Woman with this information. Early this morning, he heard shooting at the Casey Ranch. He went there, saw the Whitecaps had the house surrounded, and that a fight was going on between them and the inmates. Immediately, he left for help, came to Crazy Woman, Crazy Woman, by the way, is a place, not a person. Started a half dozen men to the rescue, changed horses, and came to Buffalo. Sheriff Angus was notified of the situation and appealed to for protection. Within half an hour, he was swearing in deputies, and at 9 p.m., a posse left Buffalo for the Casey Ranch battleground, reaching there before daylight but not until after the Whitecaps had conquered and gone. Jack Flagg, whose name has been notorious as a leader of the wrestlers, was a few days ago elected a delegate to the Democratic State Convention. He was on his way there, intending to stop the night at the Casey Ranch. He and a boy named Taylor drove up to the Casey Ranch just after dark. Flagg started for the house, leaving Taylor busy at the wagon. Nearing the building, he saw several mounted men. He supposed they were a friendly cow party, and when they ordered him to throw his hands up, he replied jokingly, go to hell. In reply, a rifle was leveled and a bullet sped past his head. Flagg had a rifle and three shells at the wagon, but no arms on his person. Running there, he grabbed the gun and held the attacking party 
while the boy cut the traces. Then the two leaped on their horses and fled safely through the fusillade, being followed a considerable way, but unhurt. They reached Harriet's Ranch on Crazy Woman Creek and started north, joining the sheriff's posse from Buffalo. When the rescuing party reached the Casey Ranch on their return, they found the house burned and the dead bodies of the inmates, who were discovered to be Nate Champion and Dick Ray, half-burned in the ruins. After Flagg got away, the Whitecaps found his wagon and run it against the house, firing it and then killing the two men that had stood them off all day long. The report of the killing of Nate Champion and Nick Ray on Powder River is confirmed by a stage driver reaching here this morning. He represents that Red Angus, Sheriff of Johnson County, went to Powder River on Saturday and reported upon his return to Buffalo the following details of the killing of Champion and Ray. Champion's cabin was surrounded by the stockmen and his surrender demanded and he refused to come out and the shooting then commenced. When Champion and Ray exhausted their ammunition, Champion made a rush from the cabin, but when 300 yards away was shot and killed, his body was found riddled with bullets. Ray remained in the cabin. The attacking party placed hay against it and fired the place. Ray's body, burned to a crisp, was found on the floor of the partially destroyed building. Ranchmen are coming into Douglas from all directions, many of them armed with rifles and revolvers, and all well-mounted. The militia company here under Captain O'Brien is assembled at the armory, equipped and armed, and the town presents a warlike appearance. Another report, Gillette, Wyoming, April 12th. The fight between the wrestlers and stockmen is waging desperately. The ranch of Nate Champion, the chief of the wrestlers, was surrounded and over 200 men fired into the building. Champion was killed. Nick Ray was with Champion at the time. The house was fired and Ray was burned to death. Champion is reported to have left the house and to have died fighting in the open field. The wrestlers have got a large number of cattlemen corralled at the TA Ranch, 10 miles from Buffalo. Four stockmen were wounded in the fight and taken to Buffalo. The soldiers at Fort McKinney were ordered out to protect the settlers. Fighting was going on all day yesterday between the rustlers and stockmen who had taken refuge at TA Ranch. The ranch is surrounded by an armed force of fully 300 men and firing has continued steadily since yesterday morning. Sheriff Angus went out from Buffalo this morning and appointed all rustlers, deputy sheriffs, upon their promise to execute summary vengeance on the stockmen's party. He rode toward the ranch and ordered the forces there to surrender, but beat a hasty retreat when they opened fire on him. Tonight, the sheriff's posse is camped around the ranch and will try to capture it tomorrow. Joe Elliott, 
the man who was out on bonds, charged with attempting to murder Nate Champion in his cabin on Powder River last fall, is with the stockman, as also is Frank Canton, who is suspected of shooting John Tisdale and Ranger Jones near Buffalo this winter. So interestingly, Nate Champion, uh, while he was basically single-handedly fighting off so many gunfighters that fateful day, killing four in the exchange of bullets, also managed to make entries into his diary. And that diary was not destroyed. Its entries are very poignant at times. I would like to read his final words, written in his own hand, about his last minutes on Earth. Me and Nick was getting breakfast when the attack took place. Two men with us, Bill Jones and another man. The old man went after water and did not come back. His friend went to see what was the matter, and he did not come back. Nick started out when I told him to look out, that I thought that someone was in the stable and would not let them come back. Nick is shot, but not dead yet. He is awful sick. I must go and wait on him. It is now about two hours since the first shot. Nick is still alive. They are still shooting and are all around the house. Boys, there is bullets coming like hail. Them fellows is in such shape, I can't get at them. They are shooting from the stable and river and back of the house. Nick is dead. He died about nine o'clock. I see smoke down at the stable. I think they have fired it. I don't think they intend to let me get away this time. It is now about noon. There is someone at the stable yet. They are throwing a rope out the door and drawing it back. I guess it is to draw me out. I wish that duck would get out further so I could get a shot at him. Boys, I don't know what they have done with them two fellows that stayed last night. Boys, I am feeling pretty lonesome just now. I wish there was someone here with me, so we could watch all sides at once. They may fool around until I get a good shot before they leave. It's about three o'clock now. There was a man in a buckboard and one on horseback just past. They fired on them as they went by. I don't know if they killed them or not. I've seen lots of men come out on horses on the other side of the river and take after them. I shot at the men in the stable just now. Don't know if I got any or not. I must go out and look again. It don't look as if there is much show of me getting away. I see 12 or 15 men. I hope they did not catch them fellows that run over the bridge towards Smith's. They are shooting at the house now. If I had a pair of glasses, I believe I would know some of those men. They are coming back. I've got to look out. Well, they have just got through shelling the house like hail. I heard them splitting wood. I guess they are going to fire the house tonight. 
I think I will make a break when night comes, if alive. Shooting again. I think they will fire the house this time. It's not night yet. The house is all fired. Goodbye, boys. If I never see you again. Nathan D. Champion. When the smoke had cleared, Champion was dead. His assassins pinned a note onto his bullet-ridden chest that read, Cattle thieves, beware. So again, uh, Jack Flagg was the man that was being shot at by the WSGA men uh, as he passed by. He did manage to escape. He, he fled to Buffalo, Wyoming, and he told the sheriff, Red Angus, about what had happened. Angus organized a posse of 200 men and set out for the KC Ranch to meet the assassins head on. Like it said in the article earlier, when Angus and his posse arrived at the KC Ranch, the invaders were already gone. He continued to pursue them, however, and by April 11th, the two groups met at the TA Ranch. This time it was the other way around. The WSGA men ended up hiding in a log barn. There were about 45 of them and the much larger posse led by Sheriff Angus surrounded the ranch. Here is an excerpt from page four of Illinois' Sterling Daily Gazette, April 14th, regarding the siege. The Stockman's War has taken another turn. The headline, Uncle Sam Moves. He put a stop to the Wyoming goings-on. Blue Coats at the T.A. Ranch. It's actually being reported as the A.T. Ranch in papers at this point. Buffalo, Wyoming, April 14th. The Stockman's War has taken another turn, and legal authorities will now attempt to settle the troubles. Colonel Van Horn's command, consisting of three troops of cavalry, received orders at midnight to march to the scene of battle at once. About 3 a.m., the sound of, Forward March! rang out clear on the morning air. And the blue-coated troopers started out of the fort and galloped towards the T.A. ranch. The distance was covered by daylight, and the commanding officer and Sheriff Angus held a consultation. The sheriff reported that he had ordered the men to surrender, but they had refused and opened fire on his men. At two o'clock yesterday morning, a courier rode into town and announced that Sheriff Angus was preparing to throw dynamite into the stockade of the invaders. A few moments before, orders had been received from Washington by the military authorities to proceed at once to the scene of the trouble. The cavalry crossed the country as rapidly as possible. The sight of the troops dampened the ardor of the party. The troops did not arrive any too soon, for Angus was preparing for an onslaught, the result of which would have been terrible and would have swelled the list of killed to 50 or 100 men. Colonel Van Horn found that the rustlers, small stockmen, and the sheriff's posse had completely surrounded the ranch and cut off all means of escape so that the stockmen's forces were entrapped. 
However, the military had no trouble in inducing the stockmen to surrender. The only provision that was exacted was that they should be taken to Fort McKinney and not allowed to fall into the hands of Angus or his men or the rustlers. To this, Colonel Van Horn consented, and under the protection of the cavalry, the stockmen's forces, consisting of 65 men, quickly saddled and bridled their horses and rode to Fort McKinney, where they are now confined. Later reports would suggest that it was 45 invaders that were captured. So eventually, one of the invaders managed to slip out of the barn, a man by the name of Mike Shauncey, and he had got word to Governor Amos Barber of the situation. And on April 12th, Barber telegraphed President Harrison for help. It was President Harrison who had ordered the 6th Cavalry to intercede, and they had rode to negotiate with Sheriff Angus and take over. So, at the end, the 45 WSGA men who had surrendered, with 45 rifles, 41 pistols, and 5,000 rounds of ammunition, by the way, were brought to Cheyenne and held at the military barracks to await trial. Meanwhile, the Johnson County attorney was building his case, including gathering damning evidence that revealed an extensive plot to murder alleged rustlers and burn their farms down. The uh, WSGA mercenaries were offered $5 a day, plus a $50 bonus for each person they killed. And as evidence was collected, it became more and more apparent that about 20 wealthy Wyoming and Nebraska stockmen were responsible for aiding and abetting this army of -of out-of-state invaders to wreak havoc on small area ranchers. But the wealthy cattle barons ultimately had enough influence over the judicial system to prevent any real punishment to the invaders. Many of the Texans, after being released on bail, fled the state, and ultimately the WSGA conspirators went free under the excuse that Johnson County could not afford to try so many people. But the community was still anxious and on high alert. On May 10th, an ambush killing of a U.S. Marshal named George Wellman stunned the community. His role in the Johnson County War has been argued about by historians ever since. Some accuse Wellman of being part of the invasion army that swept into Wyoming. Although he was not one of the foreign invaders hailing from Texas, In fact, he was a local lawman, allegedly in the pocket of big cattle. Others saw him as an honorable and honest man who paid with his life for trying to put a stop to wrestling. Here is a report of his death in the Chicago Tribune, May 11th. The stories published directly after Wellman's slaying are pretty sympathetic to him. Later research would become more critical of his role in the war. Here is the story. Killed by wrestlers, George Wellman shot down while near Buffalo. Buffalo, Wyoming, May 10th. When the dead bodies of Nate Champion and Nick Ray 
lay in the undertaking establishment in this city. Champions riddled with bullets and rays burned almost beyond human semblance. The rustlers vowed that ten lives should pay the penalty for each one taken at the Casey Ranch. Today they showed that their words had no idle meaning, and George Wellman, foreman for the Henry A. Blair Ranch, was killed 30 miles from town. Wellman left the Blair Ranch this morning to come to Buffalo, whither he had been summoned by United States Marshal Rankin to assist in serving the injunction against the illegal roundups. Tom Hathaway, an employee of the same company, accompanied him. They had proceeded about 12 miles on their journey when the shots were fired. Hathaway's horse gave a jump and bolted around a hill, nearly throwing him. He heard several other shots fired and on glancing back saw Wellman throw up his hands and fall from the saddle. Hathaway's horse got away from him and on returning to the road, he met Wellman's horse coming toward him. Looking back, he saw Wellman's body lying in the road, motionless, but was afraid to approach any nearer, and set out at once for Buffalo. He saw nothing of the assassins. Wellman was a quiet, taciturn man, 30 years old. When the cattlemen's invading party reached the T.A. ranch, Ed Towes, a reporter from the Cheyenne asked Wellman to pilot him out of the country. Wellman did so, despite threats that his life would pay the forfeit, for the Johnson County people were particularly anxious to get a hold of the newspaper man. This risky task accomplished, Wellman went to Chicago to consult with Mr. Blair and then in company with his employer returned to Cheyenne. While there, he was in frequent consultation with the cattlemen held prisoners and with the attorneys retained to defend them. Well, I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Aghast at the Past, 1892. I'll be back again very soon with updates on the Tina Davis murder case. Until next time.